This is a Baby Brunch podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by FedHealth. FedHealth's FlexiFed 2 and 3 options offer superb maternity and childhood benefits, including its free FedHealth baby program to see members through their pregnancy and parenting journeys. Choose FedHealth for trusted medical aid cover that gives you choice, flexibility and control, and that will be with you through every stage of your family's unique journey. FedHealth. We let you be you. Hey everyone and welcome to another Baby Brunch podcast. Now we've had a lot of questions about, say you want to have a baby uh, and you're pregnant, then what? So we decided to bring in only the best people to answer these questions. And if you want to know everything from before or even after a baby is born, uh, you have to listen to this podcast. Gyne sexologist Dr. Mpumi Zenda join us today on our Baby Brunch podcast. A big thank you to our support. This podcast is supported by Epimax Baby and Junior. Nourish and hydrate your little one's skin with Epimax Baby and Junior, a range of gentle all-purpose emollient moisturizers that can be used as a soap substitute. New Epimax Baby Bum Barrier Cream protects, conditions and restores sensitive skin. Doctor, I am pregnant. Now what? Congratulations. Let's start there. <laughs> Thank you so much. I wish I would be pregnant, but you know what? We're going we're gonna to speak for everybody else that's trying to fall pregnant or, or even who are. I mean, we have so many questions that comes our way. And one of them is, what is the right or wrong way to go about this? I mean, is it a night of passion? Is it sitting down in a conversation with partner about trying for this baby? Is it waiting for ovulation or is it actually just having fun and seeing what happens. It's actually all of the above, Mm. right? Mm. Every person's story way of starting is very much valid. Um, I think what is important is if you are thinking about it, um, the first thing you want to do is how best can you plan? Because a lot of the times um, when we have these kind of conversations, people hit struggles and, and snitch, you know, because we haven't planned properly. And I'll be honest, in, in real practice, even the planning, you can, you can really never plan everything to the T. So understanding your body, understanding what do you want um, to, to achieve, but also, I mean, of course, it's a pregnancy, but what are the things that go into uh, that support your body during a pregnancy? So things like, you know, we take it for granted that Exercising prior to falling pregnant, um, eating well prior to falling pregnant, um, taking things like folic acid prior to falling pregnant are things that actually contribute positively to your child's life. Because we're not just thinking about the pregnancy, but we're thinking about what is the outcome. If I am somebody who drinks, who smokes, um, how do I start thinking along the lines from thinking pregnancy? So those are the things that one needs to consider. How important is it to check all these things with your gynecologist before starting the process? I mean, do you need to go for blood tests and all that stuff? Or can you just decide to conceive? Speaking to your gynae is so that they can flag out anything that you might not necessarily be aware of, especially if you're not in the medical industry. Um, There are things that you might not think are important um, that they may flag out for you. There might be things that are high risk or underlying risks that you carry that if somebody said something to you like your gynae, 
it would make a big difference. So, for example, somebody who's had a previous miscarriage, for example, um, it is important flag that with speak to your gynae before your next pregnancy. If you've had underlying conditions, hypertension, diabetes during your previous pregnancies, um, if you have something in the family from a genetic perspective, for example. So it is important to speak to your gynae, not because you need their permission, but just so that they can flag out anything that might um, affect your pregnancy, particularly adversely. Speaking of which, so, I mean, do you discuss these things with your partner beforehand? Um, possibility of twins, epilepsy, cancer, anything hereditary. Is that important to discuss with your partner beforehand? I mean, I just going to say it. There's things that I now know that I never knew existed in both our families, but we already yeah. have got older children and we've got littlies. Yeah. So, so what, what, what is actually safer? Because, you know, in relation to the only states, there's lots of, you know, family affairs in terms of it can come across as intimidating. Sometimes we don't know how to approach those kind of topics without offending our partners. Mm. So rather speak to your gynae with your partner, because then, I mean, naturally, even when somebody is already pregnant, we will go through the history of both sides of the family, are the right. twins in the family and so forth and so forth. But even if prior, um, I think there is this notion that a lot of women, and there's nothing wrong entirely with that, is I want a baby, I decide I'm going to go for it. Uh, please just give me your sperm kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and I think a lot of the times guys feel very left out in the conversations and mm. even in the decision um, of how do you feel about this? You know, um, it, it's, it's a very touch and go kind of uh, discussion. So to be safe and to protect both your hearts, rather speak to the gynae together so that they should be able to guide the conversation in a way that does not offend anybody, but you still get the important information out. Why do we keep, that's great advice. Why do we keep our pregnancies a secret until a certain amount of weeks? I know of a friend that up until 23 weeks, she didn't want to tell everyone and she wasn't showing that much. So we all just supported her and we, we didn't say anything. I told everyone at 14 weeks, why is it necessary or perhaps not to, to keep it a secret? From a medical perspective, it's absolutely not, not necessary. There is, it doesn't do, it doesn't add or subtract anything, but I can understand a pregnancy is a very special time, is a very personal thing between a couple in the family. Um, and also from different cultural backgrounds, you know, I know a lot of um, African people have this idea, you know, we, we and, I mean, I, I remember when I was pregnant, for example, my mom was like, no, don't tell anybody at least until three months. And I think I, I don't, there is no scientific reason, like I said, but I think especially with when it comes to there's this three months or 12 weeks at the very least where a person, first of all, wants to be sure that, okay, first of all, we are really pregnant. Um, we, we would see, for example, if they go to the gun, you'll see the heartbeat from about six weeks of pregnancy. Um, we start doing all the blood tests between 10 and 12 weeks. Um, so I think there's also an anxiety with people just wanting to be sure first that things are going accordingly before I can put it out there. Because I think as much as we always and very often speak about the positive and successful outcomes of pregnancy, the biggest crime is that we don't support 
talk enough about the unsuccessful pregnancies, the miscarriages, mm. the ectopic pregnancies, the stillbirths. When things don't go well, um, a lot of women find themselves alone. And so there is that anxiety throughout the pregnancy, especially if somebody has already experienced something like that, mm. if they've had a previous you know, incident. So I think that's where it comes from. And I think people just want to protect their space until they feel it's comfortable and it is okay for them to speak about these things. You said something else that was really important. I mean, so now you suspect you're pregnant or you are pregnant and you see your gynae. What are some of the first things that are done? When do the blood tests come and when do you go for the special fetal assessment where they check if baby is okay? So how does it work? So let's say you arrive and you're four weeks pregnant. Yeah. So what we would encourage women um, even before they fall pregnant is to when, you know, we all say when you start seeing a gynae. Um, the first 12 weeks are actually quite important because those are the early development. And if there's anything that we want to change, you're on a medication, we need to change it because it would cause problems on baby. That's when we want to do it. Um, so I would generally, and in general, gynae will say, as soon as you have missed your first period, please do come through. Of course, by the time, if you come through around that time, you'd still be quite early, but we also want to detect, is the pregnancy in the right place? That's the first thing we would like. Is the pregnancy in the right place? Because like I said, you could get a pregnancy that is not sitting in its right place, sitting in the tubes or sometimes even worse in the abdomen. Um, secondly, by around six weeks, you want to be able to see, is there fetal heart, um, are things moving in the right direction? The blood test, um, now this is not necessarily something that is, you know, cast in stone in terms of how different gynees do it. But how I do it is I want to prick you once, not twice. So you get two types of bloods that we do. The one is what you call the prenatal, which is basically a screening test that looks out where do you sit in the risk of the chromosomal abnormality. So your Down syndrome, Right. And then there's one where we call the antenatal bloods, which is basically just looking at your information about, um, you know, uh, um, what are your underlying risk factors, um, any underlying infections, your blood group, that kind of stuff, uh, testing for things like uh, uh, diabetes, if you're already a high risk person, otherwise we can do it much later. So I would say... Once you've missed your first period, go and see your gynae. They are most likely only going to do your test between 10 and 12 weeks. The fetal medicine uh, um, uh, scan, ideally, particularly if somebody has come back with the screening results from the prenatals um, with either intermediate or high risk, they, we would want them to be seen by the fetal medicine by 12 weeks already, between 12 and 13 weeks for the first time. Or if somebody has had other issues, whether it was hypertension in their previous pregnancies, whether it is because they've got twins in this pregnancy, there's a number of things that we consider high risk and we would want you to see a fetal medicine uh, specialist earlier than somebody who's got a low risk pregnancy. So then we would want it 12 weeks, around 18 weeks. We send you then um, if you are normal or low risk we send you to the fetal medicine for what we call an anormally scan. They literally just do a full head to toe, including the internal organs to see, are there any things that flag out 
um, abnormalities. It reminds me of my, my first baby and almost the unknown, you know, where they say to you, okay, well, today this is what's going to happen. Or uh, in two weeks, this is what's going to happen. And it was exciting. It was exciting. And it's yeah. been exciting for with every pregnancy that I've had. But, uh, you know, it could be, it could be very unsure yeah. and it could create a lot of anxiety for people who don't find it exciting. And that's why we, we want to prepare them for this. Um, if, if we continue now with blood mm. tests and, and abnormalities, and you just spoke about it in depth, which is very exciting for me. I mean, are there, are there certain things that you think we shouldn't do? What if, what if you're really anxious to see your gynae? In your experience, we arrive at uh, our gynees and you think, oh, they shouldn't have. And one of the th- shouldn'ts that I can think of is you're really anxious to see your gynae. You know that you might be pregnant and you wait for a really long time before you go for your first consultation. That's a definite shouldn't. Um, so don't do that. Don't wait because it doesn't solve anything um, and it doesn't make your anxiety any better. Um, you are more likely to get things sorted and solved if you go earlier. So don't don't wait. Even if you're scared, that's why I always say choosing a gynae should be like choosing your hairdresser. It should be like choosing your dentist because it's a very personal space. Get somebody that you are comfortable to be vulnerable with because it is a very vulnerable time as well. So it's so important to be with somebody that, you know, you, you know, I call it in Zulu, we say, you basically undo yourself in front of this person as they doing tests. I see how anxious, um, you know, you know, um, couples can be particularly women can be about all these tests because it's like, well, I don't know what's gonna what it's gonna say. Is my baby okay? Is everything okay? Um, and you start seeing them relax just a little bit um, when they hit above twenty four weeks. Um, so, so importantly, choose a gynae that you can literally go and undo yourself, um, so that they can support you in the in the most meaningful way. What if you don't like your gynae and you want to change? Is that advisable? And how do you go about doing that? a definite, a definite must do. If you are uncomfortable with somebody, it's like how we walk into, you know, a restaurant, buy food. If you don't like it, change it, right? Because it nine months is a very long time of being pregnant. You're going to have to interact with this person. And, and, and sometimes things don't go well. So you want to be with somebody that you know you are comfortable with, you are comfortable to ask, you are comfortable to say, I don't like this. I'd rather we do it that way. Um, you want to be able to feel seen and heard um, by your gynae. So by all means, change. And there's there's a number of ways that you can do this. You can ask for recommendations from your friends or you know um, other people. You can you can use the Google. There are I think medical sites. Shop around. I often say the first choice. There isn't. Whilst there are a lot of tests they are quite universal in doesn't matter which guy does it. Even general practitioners and midwives who do deliveries um, will do these tests. So in your first trimester, like your first two, three visits, test drive, if it's your first child in particular, 
test drive if you like the person you are with so that by the end of the first trimester, you are settling with the person that you want to be with. And, you know, there's this notion that, oh, my mother went to this guy and my sister and my friend and this person. So I'm <laughs> kind of expected to go to them. Um, you know, I've had clients like that. And I'm like, no, you don't. Find the one that vibes with you, yeah. period. Now, yeah. you just said something that caught my attention. Midwives, doulas, um, gynees. How do you know which is the right one for you? Right. Whew. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky one. But actually, the medical personnel, the, us, the clinicians, should be the ones who are doing the sifting. So, for example, you have midwives that deliver and run their own private practices, right? And that's perfectly fine. But their scope of practice is more inclined for the low-risk patients. Um, similarly to general practitioners, uh, general practitioners will also uh, deal mainly with the low-risk um, uh, pregnancies. So you want to be able to see a gynae or your gynae if you have a high risk, or if even if you've had like an uh, um, an unfavorable outcome in your previous pregnancy, but why I was saying that actually the responsibility is more on the clinician because sometimes people really don't know. They'll go to a midwife and they'll say, "I'm pregnant." Da, 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 da. The midwife, when she picks up that this is not a low risk pregnancy, they are the ones who should say to the client, you need to go and actually see a gyne, which is similar. Sometimes you will go to a gynae and you will say, you, you'll pick up a few things. I'm the one who must know that you need to go to a fetal medicine specialist first. I need to refer you to a physician because you've got underlying diabetes in your pregnancy. You need to see, um, you know, whichever other medical expertise based on my examination and assessment of you um, as a client. When will I start showing or is it different for everybody? It is different for everybody. It is different depending also on your, your weight, the weight that you are carrying. Um, so, but, but generally somebody who is uh, very small in stature you know, could who had like literally a flat stomach before they they fell pregnant. You could easily start showing, you know, in the like in the beginning of your, the second trimester. But for most people, by around 20, 24 weeks, you have a little bit of a bump. Why yeah. do we talk in weeks, like eight weeks, 24 weeks, when <laughs> the baby's born, we say, oh, in six weeks, you know, first checkup for baby and uh, come again in so many weeks. Uh, someone said to me the other day, can we not just speak in months? <laughs> because, because pregnancy, so many things that are changing quite rapidly. So if we spoke in months, we would really miss out on chunks of things that are changing. So for example, we'll say at around 18 weeks, um, you'll, we will be able to tell the sex of your baby. Around 20 weeks, you should start to feel fetal movements. Around 24 weeks, you are what we call uh, viable, which means if anything goes wrong, God forbid, we will run for both mom and baby. We will say 32 weeks, baby should be this weight. We will say, um, because you've got these complications, uh, at three, four weeks, baby should be weighing kg. It makes it easy for us to give you reference to the different stages and the different things that are taking place. Um, also, I think it's just an, a standard international way of, for example, when we talk about 
when are you due? Your expected date of delivery is not given in months. It's given in weeks. And no matter where you go in the world, if you can just remember your expected date, the doctor that is seeing you um, wherever will be able to know, will be able to work out how far you are at any given point of your pregnancy. So there is a standardization so that we all speak in the same language. I know it drives clients insane, but thank God for the apps. <laughs> what should we get in order? So now we know that we're pregnant. Both my babies came early. In the one's case, we didn't even have a nursery. So how do you know what to do and when everything should be ready for babies? I think that's also a very personal thing we, people often think guys you know give a lot of this advice and to be honest I, I, forgive me all my colleagues we suck at it we suck we, we are brilliant <laughs> at the technicalities but we we are often very impersonal about things that matter to women let me give you a quick example Ilana. Right. When you're doing a scan, very often gynees just want to like measure the head, the stomach, the legs. This is how big your baby is. The woman is interested. How, how, how big have we grown? What is the sex of my baby? What is it? Or rather the gender of my baby? Um, are they moving? Are they okay? Oh my gosh, ways. Let me take a picture of, you know, that's the <laughs> nose. That's the, do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> so we often don't delve into your nursery should be fine by now. Uh, this and, and I think there are what you call, you know, the antenatal classes really bridge that gap because they go into those things of, you know, what to pack, um, what should you have, um, you know, what can you expect? I think that's, uh, we, we are terrible at it and <laughs> God help us. <laughs> so doctor, I know that you take your role very seriously. So if we are going to take antenatal classes, when, how soon should we start? Do you start at the beginning of your pregnancy or is it something that they will advise you on? My dream is to have antenatal classes start from the beginning of your pregnancy because there are things in the first trimester that you are worried about. For example, concerns about nausea, you know, the morning sickness, about being so tired. Um, what are the danger signs that you should look out for? Those are generally the things that, you know, will involve what to eat, what not to eat. Um, you know, that's the kind of stuff. In the, in, the, in, the, in the second trimester, mainly we're looking at, is the baby growing accordingly? Um, and from, from around that time, uh, uh, they will start teaching you about, okay, what to expect, um, you know, uh, things like babies' movements and so on. And closer to the third trimester, they are preparing you for the birth, for the actual birth, um, what to expect. Uh, I think people traumatize themselves a lot when they go and watch all those <laughs> videos on the internet. <laughs> I just put my hand up. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I often say the stuff that is on Google it's great, but that's not your gynae and you will drive yourself insane. You know, look at that stuff. My advice is look at that stuff, but that should prompt the kind of questions you want to ask me. Um, I had a very, an amazing client who used to carry literally um, a notebook from the beginning of her pregnancy. And she would have at least three or four questions around everything that's happening. And sometimes I'd say, don't worry about that. We'll speak about that closer to the time when you need to know about that. Um, so for me, antenatal classes should be starting 
from you when you start pregnancy, but also they don't end when the baby is out. Something that is highly neglected is the postpartum or the post-delivery phase. You know, everybody just says, oh, you're amazing. You've done an amazing job. Thank you very much. <laughs> but a lot of women feel unsupported. Mm. Um, the changes that occur, it's almost like the kind of attention they were getting during the pregnancy Suddenly, just, you know, resources just got cut. Like, oh. So that's why we started Baby Brunch. That's the exact reason why oh, Baby wow. Brunch was supported. Yeah, that's why we started it. And and I'm enjoying our conversation today because it's it's very close to one that we had uh, in our previous podcasts where we talked about cravings and diets. And even the dietitian, sure. she shared your sentiment. She said, why are we starting to eat healthy or prepare for baby once we're pregnant? She said folic acid wow. and healthy eating and exercise should be started, well, generally in, in the ideal world as a lifestyle choice, but before baby is conceived, you know, so that baby lives in a little healthy home. Yeah. And even, you know, I often say if you were exercising before you felt pregnant, you will lose that weight so much easier yeah. because it's already in your system. The way also that you experience the pregnancy um, is so much better if you are already fit and healthy and living a healthy lifestyle. People who struggle to lose weight and the baby, most of the time, let me not generalize, um, but the vast majority of people who struggle to lose weight after pregnancy are people who were not exercising before because right. there's a mentality about making health a lifestyle how soon i mean i know the answer to this because i started running marathon after my first baby i decided that this is the time that i'm going to start running and it was really a wonderful experience I've, i lost a lot of weight and i became really fit after my first pregnancy but after yeah. a cesarean and also after a natural birth what is your recommendation how soon after you've had baby can you start doing moderate uh, or easy exercises. Right. So after a cesarean section, um, we generally provided all things went well, no complications, nothing, no underlying medical conditions. We generally say at least six weeks because that gives um, um, the body time or rather actually to let me be more specific and say the uterus, the womb to heal because the scar at the top will heal in 10 days, 10 to 14 days. It's closed. It looks, it looks fine. But remember, the womb is a big, thick muscle that takes longer to, to, to heal. Um, and, and I think over and above, so and, and that, a natural, uh, normal vaginal delivery, um, that is much, is much easier that because there, there is nothing we are necessarily concerned about unless you had stitches mm. um, either from uh, an assisted delivery or maybe you had an episiotomy where we cut just to give you a little bit more of an extension. So you want to be able to listen to your body. If it's too painful, stop, slow down, start easy. Um, and, and, and like I said, provided there were no other complications, it helps to include, if you can, things like a dietitian, a personal trainer, um, a pelvic floor physio over and above oh, wow. um, um, your, your, your gynae. Because those are the people who will let you also know when you're doing way too much or if it is okay. Gynees are not... <laughs> are not experts at those areas unfortunately <laughs> I'm wonder it's wonderful that everyone is a specialist in their own field though <laughs> so I'm Literally. going with it. I'm going with it 
Why do some dinies push for, for cesarean? This is a podcast that we've had before, you know, uh, Caesar versus natural birth. Why does it feel like in South Africa, it's promoted to have a Caesar before they promote natural birth? That is a trend that is probably happening. And I can think of a number of reasons why people would do that. It's probably more convenient. It's more planned. Um, it's more controlled. But often the underlying issues, I think, is got to do with the amount of medical legal that is currently happening, the kind of litigation that is currently happening um, uh, against particularly obstetricians um, with the normal vaginal delivery when something goes wrong or a baby is not okay. The first thing that often happens is, you know, let's take the gynae to, to, the, to, the, to, to, to the lawyers. Now, I do not, absolutely do not condone negligence, right? But I think it's important for us to be sensitive to those things. Now, from a personal perspective, I genuinely believe that it's not the FISA or the normal vaginal delivery. How we are taught is that it is the safety of the baby and the mother. At any point um, where the safety of the baby or the mother is compromised, that's a point where you should change directions. Mm -hmm. And so I always encourage natural delivery because that gives women a lot more options about, you know, the number of children they want to have. And also this notion that cesarean section is without its own complications. In fact, when you think in South Africa, um, uh, um, hemorrhage or bleeding during cesarean section, and as a result of that, uh, a woman dies, is, is the number three cause of maternal death. Right. Um, and the fact that a majority of them are happening with women who have had a cesarean section. So it is not innocuous and without, um, you know, uh, uh, risks. And, and I think that the last reason that clients never say it out loud is that women will walk into your rooms, look at you straight in the face and say, Doc, I'm not pushing anything out of anything. You can absolutely forget. Wow. Right. So it is somebody requesting, it is, you know, the gynae's convenience, it is, there's a number of reasons. And that's why that for me comes back to the pick a gynae that vibes with your own values and what is important to you. Um, but do not also be the person who is so attached to the one way that even when things are going wrong, I mean, we've had patients where the baby is clearly not doing well. You now need a cesarean section and they're like, I want to push. And I'm just like, this baby is not going to be okay if you insist. Mm. Sure, doctor, we've, we've covered quite a bit. And I mean, sure, we've, we've started with planning the baby, uh, having the baby blood tests. We've gone through uh, things that we shouldn't do. Uh, antenatal, I thought that your advice was really good. Starting earlier, um, you even talked about apps without even realizing, but there's plenty of apps. <laughs> there's plenty of apps that assist us also in, in you know, helping us feel included. Um, I was going to try and cover risks of, of giving birth today, but I don't think that I want to scare our mommies. I think they need to ask their medical practitioner about their yeah. own risk. Yes, yes. <laughs> and about their own complications because that would put us in a position where we know that you've actually seeked advice from someone who has got uh, your needs um, yeah, 
you belong to them. They're going to look out for your best interests and for your best interests and that of baby as well. Doctor, sure. All I want to, what's the, what's the, what's the, um, the, the cap age of having a baby? Can I still have a baby in, in my late thirties? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. I just in recorded fact, you for my husband. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yes. In this day and age, you totally can. Oh my word. Dr. Mpume Zende, she, you can find her. She is passionate about gynae sexology she is the founder of Mike's and Stets. You heard it. Please follow our posts at Baby Brunch SA to find out more about her and also where you can see her. You can find them on Instagram at dr.gyne. That's it. At dr.gyne. So G-Y-N-A-E. Doctor, you are not just hilarious. I would have my next baby with you. <laughs> Thank you. So Come much through. reassurance. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was supported by Epimax Baby and Junior. Epimax Baby and Junior is dermatologist approved, free of artificial colorants and fragrances, and is safe to use from birth. Touch, nourish, love your child's skin with Epimax Baby and Junior. Available from leading pharmacies and retail stores. This podcast is proudly brought to you by FedHealth. FedHealth's FlexiFed 2 and 3 options offer superb maternity and childhood benefits, including its free FedHealth baby program to see members through their pregnancy and parenting journeys. Choose FedHealth for trusted medical aid cover that gives you choice, flexibility and control, and that will be with you through every stage of your family's unique journey. FedHealth. We let you be you.